Yes, coming in hot with episode 27 of the Football Played on Paper podcast. I'm Sean and I'm joined by a man who never got near Diego on the field but really did play in that space off the field. Jobber, <laughs> how are you, mate? Very yeah, good. So are we talking about uh, the great man's excessive drug use or are we talking about the weight gain there or... I think there's just so many there's so many parallels in my life, but yeah. he. Uh, I'd probably say the physique. The physique yeah, physique, physique and haircut. I've tended to use a little bit more of the gel, slick it back. Um, look, I suppose it's it's so sad to see him pass away. And I thought he'd live forever. We we're just talking about yeah, his lifestyle choices um, didn't um, make it conducive to a long life. But we did talk about uh, a couple of pods ago where a couple of the. Um, Legends of the 66 um, England triumph were starting to pass away and starting to have some major health problems. And then here we go. A couple of weeks later, El Diego. Yeah. Heart well, attack. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> Bloody prime of his health. Um, all right. So what, what are we going through today? Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's my turn, isn't it? Um, so we have a bit of Diego chat at the start in the weekly happenings. Um, and then we are moving on to the Champions League review. It's the first round of the reverse fixtures um, for that match, match week four, Premier League preview, and then Roger is back with a juicy multi, and then we're into socials. So let's do it, mate. What's our open question? Oh, look, it's, it, has to, it has to be Diego, doesn't it? So Diego Maradona, peak health, passed away in his prime, taken from the world far too soon, um, after a life truly burning the candle at both ends. He lived the life that I think every young boy envisaged at one part. So I've got a bit of a two-parter this week, and I know this might be a bit hard for you to comprehend. But um, the first part is, what's your favourite memory of Diego, the player? And then the second part is, what's your favourite memory of Diego and his post-playing days when his, his mind was potentially a little bit impacted by the drugs, but the antics were just so fantastic to watch from the distance. Yeah, all right, so two-parter there, but um, what I'm going to do is, because I never really like to follow the opening question that tightly, is split the first question into two (laughs) to reflect Diego's two personalities. So um, him as a player, I'll do first, and I'll I'll probably do the footballing side of of him as a player first, is when um, his his warm-up. So what he used to do, he used to warm up on his own, and most of his warm-ups were pretty much... um, you could probably describe as jiving and dancing um, and juggling the ball um, with himself. And so you can see there's got a bunch of different clips, whether that would be for Argentina um, or his time at Napoli where, yeah, he was just out there in the in the rain and, um, on his own, full tracksuit, tracksuit top interestingly tucked into the pants um, like and just juggling away and, and, and dancing away. So, um, yeah, I think those memories. And, the, like, just the ball had just stuck to his foot and stuck to his head when, and he could basically do whatever he wanted wanted to it and you could tell that that ball was like one of those old school balls that were like just picking up all the water and getting heavier and heavier so yeah that that was probably um the most interesting thing to see him um do as a player but also the other side of his playing career i just want to touch on real quick is um when he met uh paul gascoigne so paul gascoigne was playing maradona in seville so gascoigne at this stage is at lazio maradona's at seville so both towards the end of their career and gazza thought yeah, before I get out there, why don't I stop off at um, Paris Disney for a three-day bender? <laughs> so, so 
Gazza gets out there, tucks himself into a couple um, for a three-day bender in Paris, and then he's walking out in the tunnel, and he lined up next to Diego, and he said to Diego, oh, Diego, I'm smashed, so just take it easy. And Diego looked back at him and said, don't worry, Gazza, so am I. So they're, they're my two playing memories. Um, why don't you do your playing memory, and then we'll move into the post Um So it's obviously I'm a man of uh, history, so I – I actually owned a VCR of the 1986 World Cup, um, so I got to. I've watched that the incident or the incidents, so potentially the hand of God and the the goal of the century, like a number of times. But my favourite memory of Diego was, um, so as I said, a bit of a history buff. So when he moved to Napoli from Barcelona for a world record fee, um, this was really important because Juve and Milan were the dominant. Um, dominant size in Italy, but there was also like a political tension because Napoli is quite poor. Um, so getting Maradona in there was a real like real uplift for the for the whole town. And they won Diego arrives, he's a hero. Seventy five thousand people turn up to um, I think San Paulo and Napoli. So um, Maradona rocks up, they're like, we've got our saviour. And then next year they win the league, led by Diego. Um, which resulted in a, a rolling series of impromptu street parties and festivity broke out contagiously across the city around the clock carnival, which ran for over a week, which you know Diego was involved in. And throughout that week, the Napoli fans, um, they were holding mock funerals for Juve and Milan, burning coffins, um, announcing their deaths in 1987, because that was just the impact he had on a town that, like, the the wealth was just so, like the massive divide of wealth in Napoli. Um, but then it had to come to an end <laughs> and it came to an end based on his uh, personal problems with his cocaine use and then also alleged links to the mafia. So I felt like his time at Napoli just encapsulated Diego's footballing days so perfectly. So what did you get for the memory in his post-playing days? The, yeah. The beautiful years. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, there's a lot to choose from, isn't there? But I'm going to go to his um, international management career. So, um, cast your mind back to 2008. Um, it's a two-horse race to get the Argentinian national job. You've got Diego on one side, Maradona, and on the other side, you've got another Diego, Simeone. So, I mean, fast forward to 2020, and the choice would be pretty obvious if you didn't know the answer. You'd go, Diego Simeone. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, but no, of course, um, they went for El Diego. And um, so he took them to the, took them to the World Cup, um, made it through qualifying, although he didn't attend all the games, couldn't. Um, and then the, I just want to talk about the squad that he Took so normally these major t- tournaments you take twenty three players, so you have three goalkeepers and then you normally take eight defenders, eight midfielders, and four strikers. That's generally how um, they structure it in terms of who goes. So that way you've got essentially if you're playing a four four two, you've got everyone uh, two players for every positions. Um, given the eight defenders, eight midfielders, and four four attackers. Diego, no. What he's gone with here, he's gone with the three goalkeepers. Yep, tick, pretty standard. And then he's gone, yeah, I can't decide between these four strikers. I'll take 11. <laughs> he takes 11 strikers um, with him um, and why not? So uh, that that was the first thing that um, really drew my attention to that. And then once he got to the tournament, um, he started off doing um, rather well. Beat Nigeria in the first game, beat South Korea in the second game. 
heads uh, heads into the match against Greece on top of the table. Does Greece two nil? No worries. Through to the um, second round, comes up against Mexico three one. Everyone's thinking, oh, hang on, Diego, could he do it as a manager as well? He meets Germany, gets battered four nil, and goes home. So there you go. Gets ah. fired two weeks later. <laughs> Poor Diego. Poor Diego, what have you got for me, mate? Um, so, so I want to keep it quite brief because there's a number of great things he's done off the pitch. But his, like, I think as he aged, his relationship with the game of football became quite strained. Um, just, just some unpopular views. But I think if you ever saw him play, um, you sort of understand why he sort of gets away with a bit more because he, he was just brilliant, like a little fat Argentinian. But like with the ball at his feet, he was just unbelievable and the games worked around but my favorite thing that he said in his post playing days um so he was talking about sex and um he had this to say about being a father my legitimate kids are dalma and gianna the rest are a product of my money and mistakes so just a (laughs) just a a view on fatherhood from diego (laughs) but i'm sure those kids feel loved (laughs) yeah but look um unbelievable player uh, was it was a gift off the field as well in his in his later years, but really sad that he's gone. But um, yeah, it's just the time doesn't wait for anyone, does it? It does not. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing happening in weekly happenings. Diego's passing, um, but what is Zlatan up to? So Zlatan, in his uh, infinite wisdom, has decided that it's time to investigate EA Sports. He said that he doesn't remember giving his rights to FIFA Pro. Um, and no one spoke to him about it. So Zlatan's worried that someone's getting royalties and enjoyment out of his image. So he's going to investigate EA Sports. Um, so yeah. I'd probably encourage him just to go and read his um, contract with AC Milan when it says when he signs and says, we'll pay you 200 grand a week, and um, then we can sell shirts and, and products with your likeness on it. Probably just go check that clause, Zlatan, before we start to well, get, before we get a lawyer up and uh, and get too happy. In his defence, he's just trying to survive. Like as you said, two hundred grand a week, he's got to make ends meet. So if EA Sports are using his likeness and people are getting enjoyment out of that for free, they need to pay for it, and he need, he should benefit. Um, so good on you, Zlatan, you selfish twat. Um, that's that's true. So if he wins that case against um, EA and they can't use the likeness of. Um, Zlatan anymore. I just encourage EA to just bring in a play with the um, the head of a toucan. <laughs> I'd enjoy that actually. Running run around, it's like head down, toucan dragging along the ground. All right, so let's get into it. So the UCL kicked off again this week. Um, it's coming thick and fast. Thank God there was no Nations League. First one, first cab off the rank. <laughs> Ren won Chelsea two. Olivier Giroud does it again when they need him. What did you think of this one? Yeah, interesting, wasn't it? I thought um, Ren, did, Ren did really well. Um, and obviously Giroud bailed them out late, come on as a as a sub and and got it done. But I think like, you, you sort of forget about Giroud there because he he's third string. So if um, Werner is um, number one, you've got Tammy at number two and then Giroud. Um, just plays a bit part, but when he come on, um, he did rather well. You got to wonder whether he's happy doing that or not, don't you? Yeah, I, he's he's just such a professional, Drew. Um, he just, he just went out there and got it done. Um, nice goal from Callum Hudson Odoi too, early on. Um, but Frank did roll out a pretty close to full strength lineup. But Ren were much better this time around. Um, for their performance, 
Edouard Mendy finally got beaten as well, which was nice to see. But yeah, Chelsea, pretty good for the points. So they're through now, aren't they? Yep. That'll get that'll get Chelsea through. Um, but what about no Kai Havertz still for Chelsea? Yeah, I don't know if he's injured. He, he, I don't know if he's injured or what the go is there, but he, he was struggling, wasn't he, a little bit um, prior to, to being dropped. But he came off the bench yesterday. Um, oh, did he? Getting few, yeah, getting a few minutes in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's in their best team right now. It's a pretty yeah. fa- fairly strong lineup. Mason Mount had a good game too, so it's a bit hard for him to break in. Yep. So Chelsea are top ten points, and and they'll be they'll go through. And same with Sevilla, um, they're second just by goal difference, ten points. So two games left, and the gap be- between um, third and fourth is nine points. So. Both teams are through. You wonder whether like Chelsea are passionate about finishing on top or, or they might just sort of rotate their squad a little bit for those last two games. What are you doing there, if you're Frank? I'm rotating the squad, particularly that defence. Um, and like he's got so many attackers that he can rotate them through and not really notice a huge difference, I'd say. But yeah, definitely rotate that defence. Thiago Silva's going to need a rest. Um, ben Chilwell, you'll be managing because he's flying right now, so you want to make sure he's fit and firing. Um, and again, you can like, rotate through Jorginho, Kante, Kovacevic, um, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, all these players. So I'd be rotating if I was Frank. What about you? Yeah, like I definitely rotate. I'm just wondering whether he um, brings in some kids in- into the mix and just gives everyone a rest um, depending on what, as I said, depending on how passionate he is about finishing top and what happens in the other groups. Like you don't want to be playing that game where you're trying to finish second to avoid someone else. On the other side, so uh, transfer yeah. bans lifted, mate. There's no kids at Chelsea anymore; they're all out on loan. Right, <laughs> bring them back in. Um, um let, you go. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the big one. Manchester on. United four, Bashir one. What did you think of this one? Firstly, why are you calling it the big one? Because it was just such a classic fixture. Two massive European giants going toe to toe. Bloody hell, Bashir Shahir couldn't um, live with it. No, they couldn't. And this is what I thought was going to happen in the first tie against these two teams. I thought Manchester United's class and the quality players they've got was just going to be too much for them, but it wasn't the case in the reverse fixture. But here they are, Manchester United back at home, and yeah, got it done. Like you, This looked like there was a big gap between the two teams when um, when they come up against each other, I think. Um, so Bruno Hernandez with the, the double and, and that volley. You happy with that volley? Oh, what a hit. What are they? What are Bashiks here doing, leaving Bruno Fernandez unmarked at the top of the box? Oh, he's not unmarked. He's the, they're trying to defend and got their header away, wasn't it? And then he yeah, yeah. bloody hell, he lashed that home. Yeah, critics might say that it had a bit of a slice to that volley, but we'll um, we'll move on from that. But then yeah, after so Bruno he, he ends up with a double, and we're only eighteen minutes in. The penalty gets awarded, and he gives it to Rashford. What are your thoughts on that? I thought that was the unusual move because that would have been for his hat trick. I just think he's a great man of the people, Bruno. I think I think there's a couple of things to that. One is I think Bruno genuinely, like even the way he plays, you can see he really cares about the team and actually improving and getting better. So he wants Marcus Rashford to go home and lash home. The other one is I reckon he's backed himself to score again. He's like, I've, got, <laughs> I've still got enough time in this game. I'm, I genuinely thought he was watching it. I was like, he's thinking he's got enough time left in this game to score again. So he's like, I'll still get my hat trick. Bashir is struggling. Um, Marcus, you take it for now. I'll give you the gimme, and I'll tuck one on later. Um, so Oli made a couple of changes. So Cavani and Donny both got a start. What are your What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's hard to gauge because it, I thought Bashir really struggled. 
Um, but they're not a bad team. But it just seemed really well balanced, the team that Ollie put out. Like, I thought Donny Vanderbeek was, I don't want to get carried away, but I thought he was really good at just recycling the possession and um, you know, getting the ball forward, making nice passes. And Cavani up top, like, it gave us a real presence. Like, Martial can tend to drift out of games, but Cavani, like, he's he's going to be in that sort of middle third towards the top. Like, he's always going to be there. The second goal, I feel like he created that mistake just by being in the area. Like, he jumped across the keeper, and then the keeper sort of looked at him quickly and dropped the ball. Just that, like, he's got that centre-forward sense that sometimes I think Anthony Martial doesn't have. But, yeah, it just looked really balanced. Teller's created more chances than anyone else in the game too. So is he a, maybe a step up on Luke Shaw? Probably in attacking sense, definitely. But, yeah, I was really happy um, with that team, and I feel like that's going towards a team that all United fans think should be playing, outside of potentially Pogba instead of Fred. Yeah, like most of the fans are dying to see more of um, Donny, like not necessarily um, starting straight away, but at least getting introduced off the bench a little bit more than he currently is. But I'd probably agree with you with Cavani. It gives you a focal point, something to play to. So he's very different to Martial's number nine. Martial's sort of one of those like wingers come strikers or, or strikers come wingers type thing that we often see in the current game. Whereas, yeah, Cavani's just a genuine number nine. As you say, he'll stay central and um, has a rather big presence and gives you a focal point to play towards. So, yeah, good result for United. Um, they needed it um, in this group, but Oli needed it as well. So, Man U top with nine, PSG six, Leipzig six, and Bakashir three um, going into the last two games. Um, but let's have a look at PSG, RB. Yeah, so just one point for Manchester United should be enough to get them through um, in the next two games, so PSG and RB. But PSG won. PSG-RB will be the ones battling now, I think, for the second yeah. spot. PSG won, RB nil. Neymar bailed him out. What did you think of this one? Um, well, Neymar needed to do something. He'd been rather quiet the last few weeks. I mean, he's, he's had a tough start to the season. Um, injuries and, and his form hasn't been that great, which is understandable. He's coming back from an injury. So, yeah, good to see him back and um, – and in the goals. Uh, but what else do you say apart from, um, I think this is another one where you could see the gap between the two teams. I think Leipzig just, I don't know, they just weren't, weren't the usual selves in terms of um, energy. They, they look rather flat to me. What did you think? Yeah, so I, I thought I thought they were the better team. I thought every time, yeah, because I was flicking no, between right. this and the, Manche- uh, and the Manchester United game, obviously, at the same time. But every time I flicked over, Arby seemed to have the ball and seemed to be, like in a relative level of control. So RB had 62% possession and 15 shots. But I think you got to sort of caveat that with the fact that PSG have amazing um, attackers and can hit you on the break. But I, I just don't – I don't know if PSG have got enough to, to get through. Like that beating RB is a big result because obviously they need to beat them to go through. But I don't know. They, they just don't seem themselves. They seem a little bit languid and – it's not quite happening for them. I don't know if it's a bit of a, a bit of a lull after losing the Champions League final, but they just they just don't look at the races. They're not at their level right now. Um, and they, I, yeah. yeah, they play Manchester United next, and then um, Bakashir last. So yeah, yeah they, probably, they can still finish top of the table realistically. Yeah, I don't think they'll beat United. Not with Ollie at the wheel. Um, 
But yeah, no, look, they just didn't. They're just not quite themselves. They do have a favourable goal difference because RB got hammered by United. Um, so they'll probably still get through. But yeah, don't like they need to play a lot better to have an impact on the tournament. Yeah, yeah, they got some work to do. But I think like most most of the teams do in that group. Like I can't see anyone in that group like really testing the quarterfinals or, or semifinals, let alone going on to um, the next type of stage. Your face is going to be red soon. Um, Dan James is back. All right, so City oh, won, yeah. Olympiacos nil. What do you think of this one? Pretty run of the mill. City now, I think City are through, are they? 12 points from? Yeah, perfect, perfect record. 1-0, another clean sheet, and uh, Phil Foden on the score sheet, which is nice to see. Um, nice to see him get a start and nice to see him um, tuck one away. But th- this one was Manchester City just sort of choking Olympiacos to to death with um, possession. So they dominated the ball and they really had limited chances, um, Olympiacos, and didn't really threaten that much, which is um, good news for Man City when you've got the, the likes of uh, John Stones back there. So... I just can't work out why he never plays in the league and then Champions League, he gets picked in the starting lineup every time. It just, it's so confusing to me. Oh, he's just more of a continental type player, isn't he, John? That has to be it, right? It has to be that they're doing less physical defending and and under the pump a little bit less um, by these teams. And it's more about tactics and uh, and keeping the ball um, in when they go onto the continent because... Yeah, he gets picked every time in the Champions League. Yeah, so um, I think, yeah, I, th- I don't know what it is about John, but he just, I think he doesn't like the pressure of the Premier League. But if you can get, you know, 200 grand a week playing at City, playing two games a year in the Champions League, good on you, John. Um, I, yeah, I, th- I thought City should have won by a lot more. Um, I think that's the only thing I'd say about this game. Um, Foden was good, confident finish. He looked quite threatening throughout. Um, Raheem Sterling, captain. He was okay, but like he just again looked a little bit off the pace. But fairly easy for City. Twenty-two shots on target. Olympiacos had none. Um, they'll go through, and I, I think Pep will start resting players now. So I think we might see some names we haven't seen before playing for Manchester City. Um, and I think John Stones might even see out the group now. That's good. Good on you, John. But yeah, Man, Man City. I mean, their league form. Um, is is a bit off at the moment. They're they're sort of in the um, lower half of the table, which does seem a little odd, even when you're looking at the table and you can see it right in front of you. And they've they're forming the Champions League. I mean, they're getting it done, but as you say, they could have gone on and, and battered Olympiacos, but just sort of rolled around in third gear and, and got this done. But um, whether Pet's happy or not with that, um, but they're on top, going to go through, and you can't ask for too much more. I wouldn't have thought. Uh, so next one is Liverpool nil, Atalanta two. What did you think of this one? And that Liverpool team, what did you make of it? Well, the the team wasn't that different to um, the team that played against uh, Leicester, to be honest. Like you've probably got one change in each of the lines, really. But this is what happened. This is what you predicted to happen in the first leg when. Um, Liverpool, were they, were they beat them in the first like six? I think it was six five, one. five nil, wasn't it? Five nil, five nil something. Yeah, absolutely bad. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think like people who did pick Atalanta, um, they sort of predicted more of a performance like this and, and a result like this. Um, but yeah, 
what a what a shock result. Liverpool lose that um, streak that everyone's banging on about with the 64 games at, at home unbeaten or whatever it was, um, which is unusual because the last run, I think, was 63 and Leicester finished it. And they were on 63 playing Leicester on the weekend and um, and got it done. So there we are. What do you think? Um, yes, yeah, so I didn't get to see this game because I was watching the Inter Milan-Real Madrid game. I was watching the scores come through and I did see... Um, my boy Pap Gomez having an early chance, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Was it was there a was there a case of Liverpool just like too many changes? Because that back four is Williams, Matip, Williams, Simiakis. So you got none of the. Uh, well, Joel Matip's the only one who probably Joel started. Matip, uh, Allison started. Yeah, but in that, the other three would be second choice: Curtis Jones, James Milner, Wijnaldum in the midfield. Again, like that's pretty weak. It was good to see Divock Origi. played on the weekend. It was good to see. Yeah, you're just trying to protect Leicester here, but good to see Divock Origi get a start too. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Liverpool tired or just Atalanta were a step up um, from Leicester City? What do you think? Yeah, well, well Atalanta are definitely a step up from Leicester City. I think last week um, Leicester hit their head on ceiling a bit where um, they got into that um, top sort of echelon of teams and, and just found out that they weren't really at that level. But Atalanta, um, yeah, very much are good enough to to beat Liverpool as it as it showed there. But I think Klopp wanted to rotate his squad, and I think that's fair enough based on the amount of games that they've got coming up. But I think he placed a little bit too much reliance into what happened in the first fixture, and if they what was yeah five or six whatever the number was, where they batted him first time. So potentially, um, yeah, he left out one of one or two. Um, players extra than he otherwise would have um, because he did have um, Jota and um, uh, Firmino on the bench. But, yeah, as you say, Riggi started. But I don't know. I think if you're a Liverpool fan, I think you still should back your team there to get it done, that team that's out there to get it done against um, Atalanta, especially at home. Mm. So, yeah, disappointing result for, for Liverpool, but... I mean, that streak that everyone's banging on about, I'm glad that's over because I can stop hearing about that. And a great result for Atalanta as well. Um, yeah, well, full value for, for their points. And that really does tighten up that group, doesn't it? Yes. Liverpool on top with nine and then um, Ajax and Atalanta on seven apiece. So. so Liverpool only need a point, I think, to go through, not mathematically but realistically. They need a point and they'll get that. They'll get three points against um Midget land or whatever it's called. Um, the other thing is, so two two things I wanted to ask is, did Liverpool, did Atalanta um, try and compete with the press? And then when was the last time you think Liverpool failed to have a shot on target? Have you got that stat? Have I have, you got that yeah. yeah. I don't okay. know. I don't know when the last time they had a shot on target. I was like, shit, it's going to be years. Like They haven't lost at home in... When was El Diego running around? <laughs> so, was it back in the Rogers era? I don't know. It's just, I just couldn't believe it when I saw that. So I looked at it after and I was like, wow, no shots on target. And then I was like, they must have played the under-12s. And I was like, Mane yeah. and Salah still played. So, yeah, bloody, what a week for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like Liverpool um, press, but I, I think for for the adjustments that they made in their in their team, I don't think the, the press was as hot as it otherwise was yeah, or okay. otherwise is. Um, so I think that made it a little bit easier for um, Atalanta, but I mean, Liverpool still dominated the the ball, um, edged the possession a bit as well. So, yeah, I think they, um, in terms of Atalanta, just trying to play through um, 
like they only got it right a couple of times, but when they did, I think that scared Liverpool enough not to um, be brave and, and press all the way through. D- does that make sense? Like, yeah. If if they beat the press once or twice, I think you know the the um, the Liverpool press just eases a little bit because they don't want to get punched through again. So I think that's what happened early, which sort of set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah. All right. So Inter Milan nil, Real Madrid two. Um, what did you make of this result? And has Conte lost his magic? Yeah, he's, he's tough results at the moment for Conte, isn't it? He's he um he does tend to do this. I know there's a lot of made of Pep's third season, and but what about Conte's second season? Um, but yeah, Conte and Zizou meeting up again. Um, managers now of Inter and Real, but they used to play together at uh, Juve. So a nice warm embrace at the start. Um. Hazard gets the penalty real early on. I think we're talking first minute um, and gets to take it, which is nice because um, there's no Ramos hamstring and no Benzema due to a groin. Um, so he takes it. You've got a bit to say about his weight, don't you? But um, <laughs> no, keep I, it in the right way, but nice little pen there. Yeah, well, it's tucked at home and he needs that for his confidence. I still, He still looks um, a little bit sh- like l- lacking sharpness, Hazard. Obviously, still amazing, but uh, but he's not quite there yet, in my opinion. It was actually an interesting Real Madrid team altogether. So Mariano started in Benzema's absence, so you're like, oh, Benzema's out, they're going to struggle. Martin Odegaard got a start as well, which was good to see. Um, and as you said, no Sergio Ramos, but Inter did not really trouble them. Um, so I think it's just after Hazard's pen, they hit the post again. They were creating numerous chances. Like They were absolutely all over him. I think... I don't know if this is an actual stat, but I felt like as I was watching it, after about 30 minutes, I don't think Romelo Lukaku had had a touch. Um, I, and, like, that's not a criticism of him. It's just the way the game was. Like, Realm were absolutely dominant all over him. Inter had no answers. Um, and then <laughs> all this is going on. Like, this is bad. And, like, you're like, okay, Real are going to run away with this very soon. And then Arturo Vidal has an absolute brain explosion, which, like, if you're Conte, you're going in there and you're ripping the paint off the walls after this. So um, Cross comes in from, I can't think who it was. It might have been Bastoni. I was Ashley Young. Ashley Young puts it in. Vidal takes a touch, turns. Varane's made a mistake in here as well. I just want that to, like, trying to play out. Varane makes a mistake. Um, World Cup winner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it falls to Vidal. Vidal goes to take a shot. Varane gets his toe in and knocks the ball. Like it's quite – like it's almost simultaneous. Basically, Varane makes a good tackle to make up for I his mistake. So, yeah. And then Vidal just loses his shit. Like just inexplicably loses his shit. So he's been signed for his experience because he moves terribly. Um, and it, like so he, Anthony Taylor's referee from the Premier League. He's like, Archiro, calm down. Vidal's lost it. He goes, yep, yellow card. But that's not enough for Arturo. He's 34 years age or 33 years of age and he's still going and he's like, I don't have to take this catcher. 33 minutes in against Real Madrid and you're down 10 men. He he like chest bumped it for his second yellow. He like got in his face and like sort of chest bumped the referee to like get in his face. Um, And yeah, got deservedly got a second yellow and went off. But when he walked down the tunnel, um, he just ran up to the side of the wall and just absolutely cracked the side of the wall, but what um, is, booted the side of the wall. What does he know the that week, we don't? 
Like, what, in that incident, what did he see that made him so, so upset that we all missed? Especially when he got the warning. Like, you're upset and that's happened to everyone and you're yelling at the ref again, it's happened to everyone. But when he gives you the first yellow, then you're like, okay, right, I need to, need to probably chill now or I'll be given the marching orders. But it's almost as if that yellow made him angrier <laughs> and he just went up like another level, you know what I mean? He got sent off. But Conte said during the week, he's like, um, oh, I'm loving having Vidal here. Um and he's really matured as a player. That was a quote from during the week. And then he goes and does something daft like that. But, yeah, I think they were in trouble. And then once that happened, um, there was really no no coming back from that uh, um, at all. But the Real Madrid press is, when it's working, is as good as any. Like, they were just squeezing um, into so tight and, um, and were just so brave in their, in their press. Yeah, Ferland Mendy had a, or should have scored in the first half um, based on just the quality of the press and the, like, that three five two can make it a little bit tricky to play out if the press is good too, because you are trying to sort of play through the lines a bit. But um, yeah, no, Raul was so much better. Um, Rodrigo came on and then Hakimi scored the own goal. But I think yeah, two 0 doesn't tell a story here. This was very. Oh, you calling that an own goal? No way. It got given as an own Rod- goal. No, Rodrigo got it, didn't he? No, Hakimi own goal. Off the sports says Rodrigo got it, and <laughs> I um, trust them. <laughs> Oh, John Lewis, he doesn't get stuff wrong, oh, mate. Oh, John. No, what, no an ent- way. what an entertainer. Um, all right. So, no, so Inter never in that game. So, um, they look like they are now out. I think we can pretty confidently yes, say. they're out. They're gone. They can't get through. Two points in four games. So, they've still got to play much in Gladbach and Shakhtar. Shakhtar have got some leaking goals at the back, but much in Gladbach, eight points. Real Madrid, seven points. Shakhtar, four. Inter, two. Into no wins, they're gone. They're gone for the third season in a row. They'll go ahead in the group stage, and Real Madrid, after a slow start in this group, uh, are really starting to get it together. So interesting. Uh, could they win it? Could Real win it, or is it too early to say? Oh, it's obviously too early to say, but they can definitely win it. Ah, coward! All right. Um, <laughs> okay. I win it, then you clown. Uh, all right, so moving on. Okay. <laughs> it's too early to say, mate. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> moving on to the Premier League. So um, actually, just quickly, so who we got this through? So Bayern are through, Man City are through, Liverpool are pretty much through, Chelsea are through, Sevilla are through, uh, Dortmund are very Barca. close, Barca are through, Juve are through, and then Group H, PSG. the group of death. PSG are not PSG, true. PSG. <laughs> PSG's not, PSG's second in their group. All right, so moving on to the Premier League. So we start on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Australian time. Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. Who do you like in this one? How good is this? Nice early fixture. Get your weekend started properly. Um, I'm probably leaning towards Palace at this stage. I just think like Newcastle have um, yeah, had some bumps in there. Recent games, I think Bruce's boys are a little bit down, and this being at Palace, I think um, they should be able to get it done. Um, Palace sitting in 11th, Newcastle down in 15th. So for all of Bruce's good work, um, they're down in 15th, but um, if a win here could get them um, over the top of Palace in terms of points and climb up the table. So, yeah, big game for, for both teams um, and with Easy's form at the moment, I'm probably leaning towards um, Roy's boys and Palace. What are you thinking here? I think this, this one will be uh, fairly stale, I think. So we've got the two teams in the, <laughs> oh. two teams in the division who least like having the ball. Um, but in saying that, 
anything could happen and they could surprise us. There are some players out there who could um, who could impress us. Um, it looks like they'll be relatively full strength. So at least we've got St. Maxima and then we've got Callum Wilson in there. Wolf Zaha, as you said, easy will play as well. So there are some players there who can get you off your seat, but I do think this one might finish nil all. Yeah. Crystal Palace, 12 goals all season. Newcastle, 10, which isn't the worst. There's teams that have got worse than that. But, yeah, traditionally, um, Palace don't score a lot. But Newcastle have been rather leaky um, this year. Yeah. But so my my, problem, my concern is there's two teams that want to play on the counter-attack. So who actually wants the ball? I feel well, like it takes a bit of time um, in the stand. Yeah, I see what you're saying, how both teams will probably want the other team to have the ball. But I think being at home, it'll, Palace will probably take that ascendancy um, with the ball and the control of the game, I think. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. But yeah, I think, I think this one might be a nil-old draw. All right. All right, let's move on to Brighton-Liverpool, your second team, Liverpool. You'd imagine they'd push by Brighton pretty easy here. Yeah, you think so. But I don't know, I don't know if... Um... Like that back four that they fielded during the week was that driven by injuries? Because we know Virgil Van Dijk is out, Naby Keita is also potentially out. Uh, uh, Thiago Alcantara is definitely out. Jordan Henderson is a doubt. Joe Gomez is out. Oxlade Chamberlain is a major doubt. Alexander Arnold is out, and Shakiri is out. So, is there so, any chance well, of Brighton upset here? No, there's no chance. I think Liverpool bring some um, bring some players back in for this game. I probably think Robinson will come in. Um, Oxley Chamberlain come off the bench against Atalanta, but he looked all right to be honest. So yeah, I think um, Klopp does have some options there. They could also bring in Jota, and they could also bring in uh, Firmino. So yeah, I think the Liverpool will um, be back to at least a little bit. Um, closer to their their full strength team um, for this fixture, and I, I think I fear for Brighton in this fixture. I think they might be battered here against Liverpool. Yeah, no Lamptey, no Lalana. Um, definitely hurts having no Lamptey. But- Welbs though, he, he looked he looked good last week. Welbeck um, got put through, nice pace and a cheeky little finish, a little dink over the top. So as we said last week, I think it gives Brighton a focal point and something to aim aim forward and something to play forward to. So I think that that's a positive move. But yeah, those other couple of injuries to Lalana that happened rather early on in the game, isn't it? And what is Lamptey suspended or injured? Lamptey suspended. He got a dodgy red suspended. card last week. Yeah, two yellow. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that really hurts Brighton. I mean, it's odd to say that um, in attacking sense, you're losing your right back is going to hurt you. But a lot of the good good things that come from Brighton come down that right hand side and then Lamptey side. So yeah. yeah, two big outs there, and I think Liverpool would do a number on them here. Yeah, fair call. So then, at that point, Liverpool could go back to the top of the table uh, if they win that one, and then Manchester City's up next against Burnley. Do you feel for Sean Dyche's boys in this one? Yeah, this is this, I, again. I think this is going to get ugly as well for Dyche's boys. This is a, a catch-up fixture, so both these teams have only played eight games, whereas everyone else has played nine. So, a um, bit of a catch-up fixture here, and I fear for Dyche's boys. And similar to the last game, I think they'll be on the end of a bit of a battering. Um, Man City have got something to prove and really need to climb up this table. And I think they're going to take that out on. Um, <laughs> Burnley. What, what are you thinking here? Yeah, I, absolutely the same. I, I'm really worried for Brighton and I like Daishi. So this is um, it's quite upsetting. But I think City have 
City have a couple of players who are coming back. So I think Fernandinho could be back. Ben Mendy could be back. Um, Nathan Ake could be back, but he might miss another week. Um, but like you've got De Bruyne, Walker, Laporte, Ferran Torres, Riyad Mahrez pushing for a recall as well. Plus Sergio Aguero could be leading the line. Um, I think there could be a lot of go- a lot of goals in this for Manchester City. They haven't been fluent this year. Um, like I haven't seen them reach the peak of their powers, but I feel like this might be a good confidence boost to get them back on their way. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think what's what do you know what's happened to um, Burnley's attack this season? So Ashley Barnes hasn't started or played a game um, at all this season. Um, Jay Rodriguez hasn't really featured. Haven't haven't seen him on the score sheet. They sort of rely on a lot on um, Chris Wood for all their goals. But I mean, where are their goals going to come from? You look at you look at their um, their goals for. They've scored the least amount of goals in the league. They've only scored four goals. Yeah, and Nick Pope's out as well this week. <laughs> Just to compound that for Burnley. So I think yeah, I think I reckon they could cop four or five here. So if you're looking for some sort of betting, I'd take over three goals. I think they're going to get absolutely smashed. All right, let's go on to potentially um, the match of the weekend. We've got Everton Leeds, um, Bielsa versus Ancelotti. You see, you see Bielsa got nominated this week for, um, I can't remember, oh, some gimmicky uh, thing. Not uh, FIFA Best Awards it was. And what a joke. Honestly, how, how is he... Getting nominated as, as like one of the best performing managers of, of the year. I think it should have been Ollie. They're, they're in 14th. <laughs> it's got him promoted. They've lost three of the last five. What are they doing? <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I, thought, I think he's done a great job. Has he done the best job in the world? Joseph's top of the table. What's that? Joseph's oh. top of the table. Bloody. The media, huh? Fake news. Um, look, so this is this is a cracking game. So um, Everton sitting in sixth, uh, Leeds in fourteenth. But the narrative around this is Everton bounced back last week, but Leeds are still committed to this um, high intensity, high possession style, and is it starting to sort of eke away at them now? They've conceded seventeen, which is the second most in the division. Um, they're they're scoring goals for fun. Well, they've, they've got 14, but it feels like scoring goals fun. They're creating chances for fun. But, like, do they need to tighten up the ship this week against Everton or, like, just keep pressing on with the style? Well, this is what we discussed last week. So, obviously, they need to tighten things up at the back. They can't keep conceding those those goals. But how they do that is is the question for Bielsa, whether he actually um, sort of shores up that, that defence and adjusts their, the way that they go forward. Um, or does he does he just push on with um, what they're doing? Because as we said, the way they go forward just leaves them so exposed. They play big switch balls. They move their um, left and right back on, um, and everyone gets involved, which just leaves them so exposed. But um, so I don't, and I to be honest, I don't see Bielsa changing that. I think that's how they will continue on, and he'll try and push through that. But some of the things they can do um, is like just clearing their lines a, a little bit better. I think there's been a couple of corners and a couple of. Um, Times the ball's been bouncing around in Leeds' box and they just haven't dealt with it that well. So I think they can probably um, sharpen up on that and, and cut down on, on those goals conceded because they just they look so vulnerable. Like any time any team goes forward against Leeds, Leeds look like they're going to concede. Yep. Yeah, they do. And, it, it's... and for, 
with Calvert Lewin, with Calvert Lewin sniffing around the 18 yard box in the form he's in too, like you can't afford to be giving him gimme chances. No, and I think Everton having Richarlison back just gives them a complete boost. I think ever since he got sent off um, in the Merseyside derby, um, they went on to lose all of those games, and then um, then they, he was back this week and they won. So I think yeah, he's a big um, a big plus for. Everton and Carlo really loves him and Carlo has told him that he can go on and win the Ballon d'Or if he keeps his head down. So there you go. Yeah, okay. So um, tough times for tough times for Leeds a little bit, but yeah, I think this week's probably a week too soon for him and I think that Everton are going to get the job done. So next one, you've highlighted this one. So 7am Sunday morning, you've got a highlighter out and put this one in the calendar, West Brom versus Sheffield United. So why have you highlighted this game um, and what makes this one so entertaining? Oh, I've highlighted this game because this is one to skip. Enjoy the sleep in. No, honestly, do we have to go through this? West Brom, trash, Sheffield United, even worse. Um, 19th versus 20th. I think this is just a battle of um, who's going to actually finish bottom. To be honest, I think West Brom, If I, I'm, I'm tipping a draw. But I think West Brom would probably edge it just because I feel like, like they've got a little bit more cutting edge than, than Sheffield United. Sheffield United, as I said, equal with Burnley, least goals scored this year. But the, just to have a look at the form of both these teams, um, West Brom um, lost three of the last five and Sheffield United lost four of the last five. Um, and the other three results that are missing in that um, are draws. So, yeah, I've got a draw here and one to be missed. What do you got? So the big question for me in this one is, does the losing manager win the sack race? Because if Sheffield United win, they go <laughs> they go up to 19th. Um, if West Brom win, then Sheffield United will be three points behind Fulham and five points behind West Brom. And as you said, five points when you're down that low in the table. If you only have one point, there's a lot of points to make up. A lot of points. Does Chris Wilder get the sack if Sheffield United lose? I think Chris Wilder gets a sack if um, Sheffield United lose. I think if Sheffield United win, there's not going to be there's not going to be a reciprocal sacking. I, I think they should talk between the two clubs and come to some sort of arrangement um, because manager yeah. swap is that what you think? <laughs> Managers, possibly. Um, I think, yeah, I think Chris Wilder's in big trouble if they lose this one, and Sheffield United are in very big trouble. Yeah, you need to do something if you're one of these teams, don't you? You can't just keep going along and sort of not not changing anything. Like I don't see, I don't see Sheffield United doing anything different week to week. I know I don't focus on them and, and try and watch um, all their games, but if they're playing against a, a team that I'm that I'm interested in. Yeah, that I don't. They just don't seem to be doing anything extra. I think, yeah, whether that be um, what Chris Wilder's trying to do, or the play, or um, him giving instructions, the players not executing those. But I think at some point you need to change things. I think now, if you change the manager, give him a week or two um, with the or a couple of games with the current squad, and then he can make a decision in January who he wants to um, chop and move on, and, and what he needs to bring in. That's probably the best way forward for both these teams. Yep. All right, so we're moving on to Sunday morning, 1 uh, 1 a.m. Monday morning. Southampton currently in fifth, taking on Manchester United, currently in 10th. Who do you like in this one? And what sort of masterstroke do you think Ollie's going to pull to uh, pull the rug from under Hassan Hurtle? 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ollie's will be looking to do that. Um, against Hassan Hudul. No, I think tactically Hassan Hudul will have him covered. It's just a matter of the quality of Manchester United's players if they can get it done um, against Southampton. Interesting to see what team Ollie rolls out. I think obviously he made some changes this week in the Champions League, bringing in Cavani for a start and bringing in Donny with a start. Does he stay with that or does he um, go back to what he has been doing in the, in the Prem? What do you think? Yeah, look, I feel like what I want him to do is I want him to play that lineup that everyone's asking for because um, Southampton are going to press extremely high um, and they'd also like to have long periods of possession. But they, like they, their press is like very, very, very high up the pitch, which kind of is congi- like good for Manchester United in the sense of those fast players like Martial and Rashford getting in behind. Like There will be opportunities to do that. Um, what I'm hoping to see is the Donny van der Beek, Paul Pogba um, midfield defensive duo with Bruno Fernandes in front. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he might roll out the Fred Scott McTominay B team um, to do that. But I think the Saints, like, Saints have sort of slowly, slowly, slowly climbed up to fifth, um, just doing their thing, really. Um, whereas Manchester United have stuttered along. I actually think Southampton are favourites for this game, and I think they probably will win this game. Interesting, because I have Southampton winning this as well. Yeah, I just think they've been more consistent. They look more coherent, and Ollie still doesn't know what his best team is. But he's only been in charge for like a year and a half. Um, but he still doesn't know what his best team is. He's still battling with this. No one knows what's going on with Paul's ankle. Um and Bruno Fernandes bailed him out last week after they were shit against West Brom. And, like, if you shit against West Brom, who are you going to be good against? Um, Southampton are a much better side, but I think Southampton are going to take the points here. Um, yeah, I think I'll probably agree with that. I read an interesting stat, which I can't find at the moment, about um, Theo Walcott only scoring... Um, <laughs> His first goal since 2006 for Southampton. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the Southampton's fans, <laughs> fans saying, I can't believe we tolerate this kind of form. I can't believe um, we accept him in the squad. So, yeah, not the, not the most intelligent bunch. Uh, I, got, I got a little kick out of that. Yeah, um, tickle me. So, next one is, this is the big one of the weekend. So, Chelsea versus Spurs. Who do you like in this one? And why is Jose going to get one over at his old club again? Yeah, this is a big one too. I think this is the contender for match of the round. Um, for a lot of people, it will be. Are we calling it the Jose Derby? You got that weird F twenty three Derby. So why not call this one the Jose Derby? Yeah, Jose's done more for the sport than those two teams. So I think I think we can comfortably call it the Jose Derby. Yeah, I, I know this is a tough one, isn't it? I think Spurs would just look so good um, last week against. Man City, they look solid. They look like they're really playing for um, the manager and they're just carrying out his um, his instructions. So having said that, Chelsea are absolutely flying at the moment. Um, leading scorers, which is interesting. Um, so they've got a lot of firepower there, which has just come from all the um, additional players that they've brought in. But I don't think my mind's made up on this one, so I'm going to say a draw. What are you yeah. thinking? What are you leaning towards? So, I think this would be a good footballing education for Frank. Um, he's spent a lot of money on his attack, and as you said, that like it's it's bearing results. I just think Jose is going to be too street smart for 
for Frank. I think he's going to have too many strings to his bow. As you said last week, they perfectly executed their plan against Man City. I think they'll do the same again. I think Man City are a little bit classier than Chelsea too around like trying to work their way through that. I don't know if Chelsea are going to have the, the tools in their armoury to be able to break Spurs down. Um, so I think with the way Harry Kane's playing, Sun's playing, Chelsea do have some issues at the back. Um, they haven't conceded that many goals. They've given away a lot of chances. So I think Spurs are going to do them here, and I think Jose is going to get one over Frank. What I'm hoping to see in the coming days is um, Jose sort of giving little shots at Frank, like sort of almost trying to look humble but not, being like, oh, Frank's only a young manager who doesn't understand, things like that. I'm hoping to see more of those in the next couple of days. Um, I'll guarantee there were, he'll say, oh, when I was there, yeah. Um, a couple of times as well. But, yeah, this, this will get a lot of coverage, um, particularly Jose obviously used to um, manage Chelsea, plus this being a London derby, um, plus the teams being um, first and third. So, yeah, this is um, this will be probably a, the the juiciest fixture, although, um, yeah, probably Everton-Leeds is, is a shout for that as well. But I don't know. Um, I think if Frank is going to put his stamp on a season – um, this is the game to do it. So, yeah, by winning this, he can go top and just make a real statement, I think. So, I'm going yeah, with, we'll, I'm going we'll with Spurs here. Go on, Joe, say. And, I, and I'm going with a, with a draw. Tough one. <laughs> Tough one to pick this one. Um, and while we are recording, um, the Europa League is going on and Jamie Vardy just popped up with a 94th-minute equaliser. Leicester 3, Braga 3. Oh, Braga. Wow. That's a good, that's a good result for Leicester. And where's what part of the Ukraine are Braga in? Oh, Portugal. Uh, well, it won't matter soon because Leicester will be through and um, you won't have to worry about right. where Braga are from. So it's actually a nice segue into the next game. So we have Arsenal versus the Portugal B team Wolves. Who do you like in this one? Gee, Arsenal have been terrible recently, haven't they? <laughs> oh, my God. They're really struggling. Five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, can we read out a couple of stats last week about our Tedder's um, first, like, was it 28, 30 games start versus um, Brucey, Rioch, Wenger, and, um, and, um, and, um, Emery? Is it? Yeah, Emery. Um, and just how he was, like, well behind all, all of those guys. Yet the Chelsea fans seem to be, like, I know, rather in behind him. So whether they see something in the in the style of play or something that they're liking, but your results are definitely not there at the moment. I mean, one win in their last five. Wolves faring slightly better. Um, and because of that, I'm probably going to lean towards Wolves um, for this one. Who have you got? Or the, Who have you got? Um, and Arsenal are at home. Remember that. Uh, yeah, so that's that is not going to sway me in the slightest. They're well, only the fans, mate. Point. They always <laughs> play you well for the fans. <laughs> There's no fans in the stadium. Actually, I thought they were going to have fans in the stadium um, very soon. Manchester United's COVID safe, Freddie. But look, um, Wolves have only lost one of their last six matches, um, and they were okay last week against Southampton. I think Wolves are going to win this one. I just don't think Arsenal are in a good headspace right now, and I think Arteta's got some work to do. Um, I'm interested to see how they respond after last week, Arsenal, because they were terrible, and with Pepe sending off, like it only sort of compounded things. Wolves are a fairly steady sort of side. Um, you know, they'll play with a lot of possession. They can, they like these big games too. 
Like Wolves have a lot of players who tend to be better against the big teams. So I think Wolves are going to win this one, even though they're even though they're away. What do you think? Yeah, well, well, Arsenal are just stuttering at the moment. They're a little bit um, similar to Man City in that their stuttering start to the season and just you know getting results that are well below what what people um, expect of them. Interestingly, they've they're just not clicking in um, open play at the moment. So uh, they've got six hundred odd minutes um, with no goals from open play. Um, <sighs> Abamian is off the pace. Uh, not really scoring recently, and um, Lacazette, yeah, he's had a tough start to the season as well. So, yeah, Arsenal better get it together soon, or I think the, the heat might be turned up on um, Arteta. So you think you thinking Wolves are going to win this one? Yeah, I've got Wolves. Yeah, yeah you've got to go for Wolves. So the next two games on uh, Monday, so we won't touch on them because we can touch on them on our next one. So it's Leicester versus Fulham and West oh, cool. Ham versus Villa. Jersey clash. Yeah, it's going to be a shocker, isn't it? Um, that should be a good game. But um, talk me through Rogers' multi for this week. So he's he was brought crashing back down to earth um, this week. What's he got for us? All right, let me let me just dive into this. So he has Liverpool to beat Brighton. Mm, okay, that's that's. Yeah, that's that's relatively brave. Man City <laughs> to beat Burnley. That's a banker. Oh wow. <laughs> Palace to beat Newcastle. Okay, I'm writing this down. Spurs to beat Chelsea. Spurs to beat Chelsea. Good on him. That's brave. As brave as me. Liverpool. So we've got Liverpool to beat Brighton. City to beat Burnley. So that so the first two obviously quite risky. And then he goes into Palace to beat Newcastle, so you'll know your fate pretty early um, Saturday morning. Because if you win the first leg, I think you're going to win legs two and three. Yep. And then coming home with Spurs to beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. That's a Jose big one. versus Frank. Uh, okay. So one dollar down will get you fourteen dollars in return, and then he says at the end, "I'm backing Jose in." Yeah, good. Because so I'm like, Frank, a fat idiot. <laughs> Arrogant twat. All right, so if you want to get in touch with us, so it's email footballplayedonpaper at gmail.com, Facebook footballplayedonpaper, Insta at footballplayedonpaper, Twitter at footballonpods. Don't forget to give us a five-star review, and if um, Roger keeps the money coming in, I think we're going to get more of those. So that's it. That's it. Frank, if you're listening, I'm sorry about that. That does not reflect the views of the pod. (laughs) Frank, I know you're listening, and it does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.